and uh, it'd be great if you keep your Bible open as we go through this passage. If you have any questions as we go through this sermon, which you might do, this passage kind of raises a lot of different questions. There's a website you can go to, redeemermcr.com slash ask, and we'll go through those questions at the end of the sermon if you have them. I wonder, have you ever had uh, an experience where you felt really far from home, um, no idea what you were supposed to do, how you were supposed to behave? I'm sure that's how Josh and Rachel felt when they went to Bolivia. It's, uh, I was in a similar situation about five years ago. Uh, the church I used to be part of, we have uh, some mission partners in Kosovo, which is a small country in, in the Balkans. Uh, there was a, a war there in the 90s, a lot of social and political problems. And five years ago, a team from my church uh, went to help them run a, a kids' um, camp for, for teenagers. And I remember um, getting off the plane in Kosovo, um, leaving the airport, and as soon as I was there, the, the place just felt different to what I was used to. And the first thing that we did uh, when we arrived, before we did any work, before we met any of the kids, we had a meeting uh, with the two mission families that were there to do some cultural training. And the idea was that, that we were in a completely different culture. How are we supposed to behave? What was the kind of things we should do? What were the kind of things we should avoid saying, not to cause offence, those kind of things? We needed to learn the right social skills to interact in that culture. Uh, we're continuing our study on the Sermon of the Mount here, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. And Jesus is showing us what life is like in his kingdom with Jesus as our king. Uh, and Jesus here teaches us the social skills that we need to have if we're following him. Uh, and what he says is hard. It cuts right to our hearts. It affects how we use our words uh, how we treat other people, uh, and how we deal with times when we've been hurt uh, or offended by someone. Um, if we open up our phones, we look at the BBC News app, we'll see that we live in a world full of conflict, uh, full of greed, jealousy, lying, deceit, violence, murder. And uh, we all long for a world that's different, don't we? Uh, we long for a world that is different, that doesn't have all of these awful things. Uh, a world where people are treated with kindness and with respect. And it's into the, in this world that Jesus speaks these words that we have here in Matthew. In a world full of violence and deceit, Jesus is creating this, this new community, a new family, where people speak truth to one another where people put other people first, where even the, the outcasts, the people that no one loves, are brought in, brought into God's community. So if we long for a better world, this is the, the family that we all need to be a part of. Uh, but how do we get involved in that project for a better world? Well, first of all, we need to recognise that it, it doesn't come about by our own efforts. Now, if we try and change ourselves, we'll fail and be miserable. It's like us trying to uh, wash our clothes in, in dirty water. It's not going to have any positive effect. It will just make things worse. 
No, this project is something that can only happen if Jesus is at the centre. Because Jesus is the king. He is the one who has come to save us from the mess that we've made of this world. And he, he came to save us from our sins, uh, all the things we do wrong against one another, but most importantly, what we do wrong against God. And he comes to forgive us and to transform us from the inside by his Holy Spirit. And if we put our faith in Jesus, then we belong to him. And more than that, we become part of this new family with God, the Lord, as our heavenly father. We have this new identity in him. So can I ask you now, have you put your trust in Jesus? Can you call yourself a child of God? Are you part of that new family already? For those of us that do follow Jesus and have God as our Heavenly Father, Jesus commands us to live a life that reflects who he is. He shows us the social skills that we need to live in his kingdom. And he sums it up perfectly in verse 48 here at the end of the passage. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. If I could sum up in one verse this, this passage, what the most important verse is, it is this one in verse 48. Because as we read these instructions that Jesus gives us, um, it can be very easy to see them as kind of abstract laws that we just need to try harder to do these things. But no, as we read these commands, in them we need to see more of our Heavenly Father and as we obey Jesus' words here, we're, we're showing the goodness and the beauty of our Heavenly Father to the world around us. So how does Jesus want us to live? Well, he gives us three instructions. Speak the truth, don't seek revenge, and love difficult people. So firstly, speak the truth. Uh, in verse 33 here, Jesus is continuing to explain the meaning of, of God's law that we find in the Old Testament. He's been doing that in some of the passages we've been looking at um, in the previous few weeks. Uh, Jesus, as God's own son, is giving his divine authoritative interpretation of God's commandments that we find in the Bible. And he's contrasting them with the, the man-made tradition of a group of people that we hear about called the Pharisees. So he says in verse 33, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. And then he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What is, what is Jesus getting at here? First of all, what does it actually mean to swear an oath? Well, when we, when we make an oath, we're calling on God as our witness concerning a, the truth of a statement that we make. And then when we, when we make a vow, it's kind of like an oath, but with a promise. We make a vow, we promise to God that we're going to do something. And making an oath to God is serious. Because after all, call, calling God as our witness we're asking him to use his power against us, his power of judgment, if we lie, if we don't keep our promise. It's serious stuff. 
But it seems that what had happened with the Pharisees is that they'd come up with ways of making God's law easier to obey, of not having to keep their word, of not having to, to tell the truth. And they thought that they could do this by swearing an oath on something less than God. Because after all, if the, if the oath wasn't made to God, then they thought it didn't really matter. So we see verse 34 talks about heaven. Verse 35, Jerusalem. And then verse 36, swearing by your own head. And actually, they'd made a complete mockery of God's law when they were doing this. The problem is that even, if they, even though they thought they were finding a loophole, we can't just separate God from the things that he's made. So we read in Psalm 24, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Even if we swear on something less than God, it still ultimately comes back to him. And actually what they were doing was making it even worse. By swearing on these lesser, lesser things, they were not only lying, they were taking God's name in vain. They were committing blasphemy. And secondly, they'd completely misunderstood the whole point of an oath and a vow in the first place. And the main reason we have them is because we live in a fallen world where everyone lies. Uh, as I was preparing the sermon, I did a bit of research on the internet. And one study that I came across had these particular headlines. Uh, apparently, 75% of people tell up to two lies a day. 7% of all our communication is lying, apparently. In terms of why people lie, 21% of the time it's to avoid other people. 13% is to try and impress other people to make us appear more favourable to them. And 14% of the time is to protect ourselves. 51% of the lies we tell are to our friends. And 21% are to our family members. And in terms of some of the most common lies we tell, one is, I forgot. I am listening, or I'm busy then. Uh, some of these things might sound funny, and I think they should make us laugh. But more seriously, we can see the effect that lying has on the world around us, can't we? People lying and breaking their promise can have a horrible effect. Just think of how many marriages are destroyed each year because someone has lied or been unfaithful. Think of how many political careers have been ended because someone's been lying and then they've eventually been found out. And sadly, even many churches, places that should show God's uh, character to the world around us, even many churches have been destroyed by lies and unfaithfulness. And it's in this context that Jesus speaks as God's people, we are to be people who speak the truth, people who keep our word. I wonder if that's true of you. If someone were to write a, a character reference for you, what would they say? Maybe they'd say, I'd just take their word uh, with a pinch of salt. They have a habit of exaggerating things. Don't really take what they say seriously. Uh, they might say, um, just make a, a backup plan. 
just in case, just in case they don't show up? Or would they say, yes, this person, you, you always keep your word, you're always faithful, I can trust you with a secret. Do you keep your promises even when it's going to hurt you? Uh, just think about some of the promises that you've made in your life. Um, for those of us that are married, when you got married, you made promises to your, your spouse to love them and be faithful to them. If you're a member here at Redeemer or a member of another church, when you became a member, you made promises to one another, promises to uh, support the church, to love other people with your, your time, your money, your whole life. Uh, do you take your promises seriously? Just worth saying that some people have read these verses as saying that we should never take an oath under any circumstances, uh, not even if we're giving evidence in court. Uh, but just briefly, I don't think that we're required to make this statement into an absolute statement in that way. And I say that because I don't think Jesus wants us to do that. Firstly, we need to read the immediate context. What Jesus is saying He's saying because of a particular abuse of God's law that he's saying, if you're abusing God's law in this way, it's better for you to just say yes or no. And also we see in the rest of the Bible, we see many examples of, of oaths and vows in a positive way. So, so God himself often makes promises and he confirms his promises with, a, with an oath. Uh, we think about when after, after Noah's Ark and the flood, um, God made a promise to never destroy the earth in that way again and he confirmed that promise with with the rainbow in the sky and actually when we think about that bow um what it looks like is it's kind of a bow with an arrow pointing up to heaven and what god was saying there that if i break my word this i will be destroyed just like an arrow kills someone he confirmed this promise uh, with an oath and we see in, in the New Testament, Paul, in his letters, he makes vows. He says, I call God as my witness that what I'm saying is true. And Jesus himself, when he was being tried by the high priest, he submitted to an oath. So we see positive examples of that. So I don't think if we're asked to give evidence in court, I don't think we have any problem taking an oath. But the point is that we know we don't need to as Christians. As Christians, it should be second nature to us to tell the truth at all times. And in a world longing for truth, we as the church should look like a light on a hill full of truth and faithfulness. After all, by doing that, we're imitating our Heavenly Father. God, our Father, has made promises to save us, to create a people for himself from all nations. And was it easy for him to keep his promise? No, it, it cost him the death of his son. It was very costly. And it will sometimes cost us to tell the truth and to keep our promises. But it will never cost us as much as it cost him. So we're to speak the truth. Secondly, we're to not seek revenge. Don't seek revenge. Uh, we all love to watch a bit of trash TV from time to time. Um, if you don't know what I mean, just think of the kind of TV programme that you can have on in the background. Um, 
don't really need to pay attention to. And these kind of programs don't normally paint people in a very positive light. And one of the shows that I've come across is called The Nightmare Neighbour Next Door. It tells the stories of horrible neighbours and, and the sorry individuals that have to put up with them. And some of the stories that you hear about what neighbours do to each other is just horrible. And here's one of the stories that I read about. Listen to what someone wrote. He said, I used to have a terrible work schedule. I'd have to wake up at 2.30am every morning so that I could be at work by 4. My downstairs neighbours would blare loud music at all hours of the night and I could feel the bass through my mattress. I went downstairs and politely asked them to turn down the music and they seemed to kindly agree. But as soon as I got back into my bed, they turned it up even louder and it kept going until about 1.30 in the morning. They didn't know who they were messing with. Before I left for work at 3.30am, I turned over my amplifier so that the speaker was facing the floor. I turned the volume up and I set my guitar on top of it. And then I left for my 12-hour shift. The feedback was still screaming when I came home. Uh, the neighbour never blasted their music again. Uh, we live in a world full of revenge, don't we? A world where we um, are obsessed with our rights and about getting our own way. And again, this is the, the world that Jesus speaks into here. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Uh, when those words, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, appear in the Old Testament, and they appear quite a few times, they usually meant um, one of two things. First of all, they were kind of instructions for how judges um, in Israel were to deal with wrongdoing, how, how they were to punish wrongdoing. Uh, so we might say in our culture, the punishment should fit the crime. But actually, they had another function. They actually set a limit for how much revenge someone could take on one another. Uh, we've all seen it when we were growing up in the school playground. Uh, a fight has broken out. And, and normally, the way the fight started was something so innocent. Someone may have just called someone a slightly bad name or made a, a joke that someone didn't like. But the natural human instinct is to to take revenge, and the revenge is always worse than the initial offence that was created. So this command, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, was supposed to limit that. Uh, but what seems to have happened with the Pharisees is that they took these words as actually justifying revenge, justifying taking things into their own hands, even to require personal revenge in certain cases. But the words never meant that. And what Jesus does here, he really gets to the heart of what God requires from us. And he says, do not resist an, e an evil person. In other words, don't take revenge. Don't take things into your own hands. If you've been wronged, just let it go. 
just worth saying again, some people have read these words, uh, these words in a very absolute way, maybe taken it to mean that we should, should never go to war, that it's never right to fight back, that it's never right to defend ourselves in any circumstances, that we should look, just let people walk all over us. But again, I don't think that is what Jesus is requiring of, his, of, of us here. I don't think that's what he's getting at. And I, I say that not because I'm trying to, to water down what Jesus is saying. In fact, I take very seriously the words that Jesus says earlier on in verse 19, when he says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches each other to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So God forbid if I should water down what Jesus is saying. But I don't think we need to re read the words in this absolute way Again, because I don't think Jesus intends them to be read in that way. First of all, we look at the immediate context. Jesus will go on to give four examples, four case studies that help, help us to understand exactly what he's getting at, exactly what he means. And then, again, we read these verses in the context of, of the whole Bible, which does teach us at certain times that they may be right to to resist. So there's many examples we could give, and I can't go through all of them now. But I think, first of all, it doesn't mean, say, if someone's in an abusive relationship, suffering domestic abuse. I, doesn't, I don't think these verses mean that they should just, just let go and let, let the violence continue against them. I think it's right for them to come out of that situation and to, to inform the authorities of the abuse they're receiving. And there are many other examples we could give. And what I'd advise, if, if you have a particular circumstance, you don't know what to do, seek wisdom from other people in the church for help about what the right thing to do would be. All that said, though, what Jesus is calling us to here is very radical. It is hard. And I think if we've understood what Jesus is saying, we should find these verses hard to obey. We're not to seek revenge. I say there's four examples that Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And really what they talk about is the way that we view ourselves. Are we trying to insist on our own way? Or are we going to put other people first and show them God's love and grace? So first of all, we see we're not to insist on our own dignity. See that verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And this kind of cheek slapping that Jesus is talking about, we shouldn't really think about the physical violence so much. But it's really when in that culture, if someone were to slap you on the, on the cheek for the back of the hand, it was really more of an insult, more of an assault on someone's honor and dignity. But Jesus says, don't insist on your own dignity. I wonder what that could mean for you. Uh, maybe you're at work. Your boss has given you a very difficult report, assessment of your work. And you can feel really hurt. And maybe you want to bite back. You say, well, actually, you're not that good at your job either. But no, Jesus says, just let it go. Turn the other cheek. And then rights in verse 40. Don't insist on your own rights. 
when Jesus talks about this shirt and the coat, if someone wants to see you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. There were kind of two items of clothing um, Jesus was talking about. And someone could sue someone to take all of their stuff, but they would never be able to take the most basic item of clothing that someone owned. They were protected against that. It was their right to keep it. But then Jesus says, look, give that other item of clothing away. Don't insist on your own rights. And finally, verse 41, don't insist on your own freedom. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Uh, a Roman soldier could have um, got anyone they came across to carry something for a mile, but then that person was free to go. But Jesus says, go another mile as well. Don't insist on your own freedom, but use your freedom to serve, even if you don't need to. And then finally, verse 42, don't insist on your own possessions. Dignity, rights, freedom, and possessions. These are all things that we all want to cling on to. And often it's because we want to cling on to these things that we take revenge on people. That we take revenge on people. But think about how being a child of God transforms your attitude to all these things. After all, if you're a child of God, you have everything that you need in him. You've been blessed with all blessings in Christ. You have dignity in Christ. You have a perfect freedom in him. You've been given everything you need in Christ. And then think about what our Heavenly Father has given us. Even though he made us, we all rebel against him, every single one of us. We insult him every day. We attack God's dignity and honour. And actually, God would have been well within his rights to just end our lives and send us straight to hell. But we find in the Gospel that God does not insist on his rights. No, he, instead he chose to save us. He took the difficult option. And he's the one who has complete freedom, but he doesn't use his freedom to serve himself. No, he uses his freedom to serve us, um, serve other people and to save us. And just think about God's possessions. To save us, God the Father gave up his most precious possession, his own son. The son of God became a man in Jesus. And when Jesus was on earth, he gave up his rights. His dignity was assaulted every day. When people mocked him and cursed him, he didn't fight back. When they spat on his face, when they pressed the crown of thorns into his skull, when they drove the nails into his hands, he did not fight back, but he continued to love us. He died the most undignified death you could ever imagine. And as he died on the cross, he didn't only experience physical pain, but he experienced the, the crushing weight of God's righteous anger against our sin to save us. He died the death that we deserve. 
I know there are a lot of people in this room who have suffered great injustice. Uh, horrible crimes have been committed against you and against your family. And I know that to follow Jesus here is very hard. But when it's hard, just reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And he set you an example to follow. And the great privilege we have as Christians is that the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus to enable him to do this lives in us now to help us follow him. Speak the truth. Don't seek revenge. And finally, love difficult people. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. That command, love your neighbour, is a command we find again and again throughout the Old Testament. And on one occasion, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The problem with the Pharisees here is their interpretation of the commandment. See, they inferred that to love your neighbour meant to hate your enemy. But there's nowhere in the Bible that we see that command. That was just a a tradition, a man-made tradition that they'd attached to God's word. And Jesus here teaches us what the commandment really means. And it doesn't just mean loving people that we get on with, loving people that are like us. No, it means to love people who aren't like us, to love people who we might find it difficult to love even to love our enemies, to love those who hate us and persecute us. Have a think of who that might be for you. Who do you find it difficult to love? Uh, Maybe it's someone here in this room. Maybe it's someone in your family or someone at work. And it might even be a whole group of people There might be groups of people in society that you just feel really alienated from. Their views might disgust you. Their lifestyle might make you uncomfortable. But Jesus commands us to love our enemy. Whoever it might be, we are commanded to love them just like Jesus has loved us. And one of the best ways that we can love someone is to pray for them. Um, One of the ways that I was taught to pray, and I've taught people when I've uh, spoken at camps before, is to use the word stop as a way to to aid our prayers. So we'd say sorry, thank you, and we'd pray for others. And then we'd say, please God, um, help me with this. Just think about that uh, third word, others. When we pray for others. We might have a a list that we we pray through. Uh, We might use an app on our phone. Well, can I ask you, who is on your prayer list? 
And does it have a category named enemies or people I find it difficult to love? And if not, maybe you need to include it. But how can I do that? How can I pray for someone who has hurt me, who doesn't show me any respect? Well, maybe Jesus had the same thoughts. As he was sentenced to death, despite not doing anything wrong, as he hung on the cross to die, did Jesus curse people? Did he hate them in return? No. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Through Jesus, we have the awesome privilege of being called children of God. And our call is to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And just look at verse 48 again. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. When I used to read that verse, I used to see it as a kind of a crushing burden an impossible standard, something that would only ever cause me discouragement. But as, as I've reflected more, I've seen to, and I've come to realise that to obey this is actually a privilege. It's my greatest joy. I have the privilege of being able to display God's goodness, his beauty and his kindness, the kindness of my heavenly father to the world around me. And it's my greatest joy to do this. As I imitate my father, I get to experience life as it's meant to be lived. And we get to do that together as we seek to put these words into practice. We get to create a community of people where God's love is put on display and people are drawn to know him. So yes, it is hard. It is difficult at times to do what Jesus says here. And there are times that I just want to say, Lord, please can you not just let me have things my own way? Can I not just water down what you're saying so that, you know, life is easier for me? But then I have to remember God's love and what Jesus has done for me. And one of the ways that we remember what God has done for us together is by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Um, under your seats, you should hopefully find um, a little thing like this with a small cup. Uh, there's a, uh, a small piece of bread at the top and the, the grape juice underneath. And what we'll do in a minute when we're, when we're singing, um, just find a moment as we're singing to eat the bread and to, and to drink and remember what Jesus has done. This is a meal that Jesus instituted the night before he died, the night when he was betrayed. He gathered his disciples around him. He took bread and he said, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup of wine and said, drink, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As Jesus' followers today, we eat the bread and the wine and drink the wine in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. He loved us when we were still his enemies. And in the book of Romans, Paul gives a description of what Jesus did for us. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As well as a remembrance, we, we, the Bible also talks about this meal being a participation in Christ. So as we eat and drink, Jesus is truly present with us by his Holy Spirit. And he strengthens us as we eat and drink, strengthens our faith, strengthens our ability to obey God when it's difficult. And finally, this meal is a proclamation. As we eat and drink, we proclaim Jesus's death to each other and to the world around us until Jesus returns. Who is this meal for? Well, it's, it's only for Christians. It's only for people that are following Jesus. If that's not where you're at, it wouldn't be right for you to join in. It wouldn't be right for you to join in with something that you don't believe in. Uh, if you do have questions, I'd love to speak to you after the service to, to help you understand what it means to, to follow Jesus, how you could do that. The Bible also teaches us to examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. So first of all, if we are claiming to follow Jesus, but we know that we're living in unrepentant sin. We know that we're living in a way which we know is not right. Jesus teaches us to first deal with that problem and then come and take and eat. And again, if you're a Christian, but you are in broken relationship with someone else in the church, before you eat and drink, go and reconcile with that person. It's not right to eat and drink as a family together when we're alienated from someone in the church. But for those who trust in Christ, even though our faith is weak, even though we mess up, this meal is great joy for us. Let us rejoice in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Um, in a moment, I'll pray and then we'll sing. Um, during the singing, um, if you want prayer, I think um, Kathleen will be at, at the back to pray with you, if you like. Um, so if that's something you want to... And you don't need to have anything specific that you want prayer for. If you just want prayer in general, uh, that's fine as well. Um, let's pray together. Um, Father God, we thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you that the, for the teaching of Jesus that we have here. Uh, which in many ways is very hard to, to obey, to put into practice. But Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you give us the strength to live out our identity in Christ. And Father, we pray um, as we go through this week, as we seek to obey you, that when life is difficult, when it's hard to obey you, that you would help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember our identity as your children and help us to remember what you have done for us in Christ. And Lord, as we eat and drink now, would you help us to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us? Help us to be strengthened and help us to look forward to the day when Jesus will return in his glory. And we give you thanks, Father, for your goodness towards us and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
There was uh, two questions that came through um, on the RedeemerMCR.com slash ask thing. So thanks for those of you who sent questions. This first one's very important. Do you have a personal story as a nightmare neighbor next door, and is that why you live in a detached house? <laughs> I might have sent that one in. That's not real. The, um, there, there's one actual, there's a real, it's a good question. Um, and this is the first time Sam is hearing it too, so yeah. Uh, what is the balance between not seeking revenge or being petty while simultaneously confronting conflict when necessary in order to seek peace? So I think a lot of... Um... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, what is the balance between not seeking revenge or being petty while simultaneously confronting conflict when necessary in order to seek peace? Yeah. So I think we need to remember a lot of what Jesus is talking about here is more to do with our, our personal lives. Um, that seems to be the, the context in what Jesus is speaking. And the examples Jesus gives get, gets more at our, our personal heart issues. I think, as I said, we need to balance what Jesus is saying with what the rest of the Bible teaches. So I think, first of all, the words eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, were originally given more in the context of judges in Israel. And I think we read in the Bible that in Romans 13, we read that God has given power to the state, to the government, to, to punish wrongdoing in certain ways. So it's important that we still have laws, that we still have a criminal justice system to, to do these things. And it's right for us as Christians to inform the police when something's happened so that they can deal with those situations. I think also we talk about war. We can think about the war in Ukraine with, with, with Russia. I think it is right in certain, certain circumstances that governments go to war to protect peace. Um, we read in Ecclesiastes,